it hits you like a ton of bricks, bud. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you thought was going to happen and whatever plan you had, go ahead and just get used to adapting. <laughs> I'm mostly just sleeping. To You store it up. That's how it works, right? Like a camel. Yeah, it turns out you don't need to sleep as much as you think you do. As long as you don't need to function at anything other than keeping a baby alive. <laughs> oh, cool. Excellent. Live for the Mundangerous Goggle Factory in New York City, I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 283 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing and running steampunk adventures. But first, the party sets sail in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Iron Man gears up in the Character Creation Forge. So, Ishan, this is our first recording since I had my pod baby, and it is our last recording since you have your pod baby. Or until sure looks you have that your way. pod baby, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been a while. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're still in our weekly regular game, um, but we have not recorded in a long time, and I've basically forgotten how to do it. I also forgot how to do it. So good. I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> I think it doesn't matter. That's really what I've realized. Unfortunately. <laughs> no one's listening anyway. All right. So a little bit of uh, news for those of you who have stuck it out with us uh, since we've gone to biweekly, which of course is temporary while, I don't know, we keep little humans alive for a little while at least. Mm-hmm. Um, for the next few weeks, we are going to be doing an actual play one-on-one I guess, solo game of uh, 5th edition Sunless Citadel. Yeah, uh, you are going to DM, I am going to play, and we'll see who comes out on top. That's how these things work, right? Uh, yes, head-to-head, uh, yeah. mano a mano, which apparently does not mean man-to-man, but whatever. Oh, hand-to-hand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, you know, it's easier than uh, actually writing regular episodes and then, um, you know, recording them. Yeah, it is. It is less prep work. Is, is yeah, there really you what go. it comes down to. <laughs> uh, and since we had an opportunity um, where we could actually use a whole afternoon and get this recorded, we thought that would be a fun thing. I know people enjoyed the um, the YouTube series that we did um, or the streaming series on Twitch um, that we've done playing Fifth Edition with a ROM, um, as well as playing uh, Band of Blades, the um, the stream of Blades. So. We thought maybe we would play our own version of 1v1 uh, D&D, and, and that would help pad us out a little bit while you have a baby on the way. And uh, I can tell you, um, I'm like seven weeks removed, and um, it, it hits you like a ton of bricks, bud. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you thought was going to happen and whatever plan you had, go ahead and just get used to adapting. <laughs> I'm mostly just sleeping. To You store it up. That's how it works, right? Like a camel. Yeah, it turns out you don't need to sleep as much as you think you do, as long as you don't need to function at anything other than keeping a baby alive. <laughs> oh, cool. Excellent. <laughs> and of course, for your dear listener, uh, we're hoping that you enjoy this uh, a little bit more than maybe five back-to-back mailbag episodes. Yeah, because that's kind of the alternative. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then depending on you know how this goes, we'll, we'll probably um, go back to you know, maybe a couple of regular episodes and then maybe do a second series, kind of see what the response is. So um, if you're not into actual play, totally understand that is not the long term direction of the show, but it's just something that we're going to do to kind of tide us over while we're in this uh, baby raising stage. (laughs) Yeah, you heard us say it. Actual play is easier than a discussion show. 
Uh, speaking of discussion, Ishan, I have two products here that I would like to discuss, uh, both of which were uh, created by our friends and sent to us by their publishers. So, <laughs> um, You know what? That's up, really what we're here for, actually. Exactly. <laughs> so first up, I have a copy in my hands of Dungeon Meister uh, by Jeff Aldrich and John Taylor, the host of the System Mastery podcast. This is the uh, hot on the heels of their award-winning or at least... Uh, second writing contract getting uh, joke book about uh, RPGs. They have a, uh, a a drink master's guide, if you will. It's a it's basically a recipe book for uh, alcoholic beverages that are all themed around fantasy and uh, Dungeons and Dragons. If there is a time for drinking, it is now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, I, if you ever wanted to know what a gelatinous cube, uh, which is of course a form of jello shot or a, uh, say an, an azomartini would look like, uh, you can check that out. That's Dungeon Meister. Uh, not bad. Is there an apertiefling in there? Uh, cause I would, I would like one. I would enjoy one very much. I think there's an apertiefling. Let me just double check here. Uh, oh, there is tiefling's breakfast. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, there's a gnomish goodnight cap. Um, it has gears. I think it's full of gears and I don't know puns. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this this I will say this book is lousy with puns. Um, the great thing about it is that they are mostly twists on classic drink recipes, so they are all uh, more or less drinkable, even if they are fantasy themed. So uh, great for game night, that kind of thing. And at this point, you're probably getting tired of you know yet another old fashioned. Or a white Russian. You know, mix it up a bit, literally. Yeah, exactly. All right, and uh, door number two. Uh, the Ultimate Micro RPG Book by, uh, well, not by, but edited by James D'Amato. Um, and with uh, 40 games, uh, all about one page, front and back, um, you know, terrible, usable um, but by 40 different authors, um, including people like Brian... Um, like Brandon Leon Gambetta, uh, Daniel Kwan, um, Jen Ellis, and Keith Baker. Um, just a, a lot of people you might have heard of, um, a few people you probably haven't heard of. Um, all of them are kind of cool and heartfelt. If you ever wanted to play a game about Van Gogh's ear, um, there is one in here. It's the game of inadvisable gifts. I don't know what you're talking about. She loved it. <laughs> yeah, it totally worked it was, out great. It was memorable. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that. She got a story out of it. <laughs> yeah there's that right. you and i got a story out of it i'm not so sure about her <laughs> let me tell you about this one guy whatever happened to him um exactly <laughs> here challenge ultimate micro rpg book challenge someone out there 40 games in 40 days do it i mean i feel like it would be doable um 40 you know, games all in 40 page <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah <laughs> 40 gnomish names in 40 nights i think it's totally doable i mean we've we've played like three micro rpgs in a single day at uh thrillicon yeah exactly i i mean geez at gen con i feel like i play six micro rpgs every hour just trying to act like a normal person all these, <laughs> like, all these people that either i know that don't know me or people who know me that i don't know <laughs> oh you mean seven mini games in a row you mean like a regular day at the office exactly business casual is cosplay all right, so you can check out Dungeon Meister and Ultimate Micro RPG book, both of which are out. 
uh, yeah, you can get them on Amazon or you know any um, <laughs> probably any bookstore to be honest because they're both uh, they're both published by Simon and Schuster. So and I will put links in, links in the show notes. All right, Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D and D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Korth, the austere capital city of Karnath, the party is hunting mind seeds. So, with Ephraim's sister Velina de Orion now finally in their confidence, the party prepares to set off for Fairhaven, the last known location of the leader of triage, Otho, and the mind seed child, Gersi. Uh, where is Fairhaven? It is in Ondare. Which is a different country? Totally different country, but you uh-huh. kind of got to skirt another different country in order to get there. <laughs> yeah, so how many countries are in this country? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you ask. Right. <laughs> All right, so to stay under the radar, they accept Valina's offer of taking a chartered ship from Korth to Flamekeep, uh, which is uh, in Thrain. And uh-huh. then from there taking an Orion trade caravan the rest of the way. This prevents them from having to enter Thaliost, also in Thrain, which happens to be currently run by the Purified, who are zealots of the Silver Flame, and there are a couple members of the party who kind of want to avoid those people. Yeah, what with them being uh, changelings and shifters and all. Yeah, huh, yeah. Yeah, it's not, not a great great part of town for uh, <laughs> for our friends. So it's not a like, great look uh, here in this, in this city uh, for you yeah. right now with your face. So, uh, Valina also calls in an augurist and an alchemist to the Orient compound. And the alchemist identifies the vial of poison gas that Warden sampled from the caves as a very persistent cloud kill, which probably will never come up again. No, it definitely didn't go into Warden's inventory as potion of cloud kill. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the augurist matches the uh, sphere of blood that they found in the Jurasco compound to... CN, one of the Ondarians from Ephraim's squad who was turned into a stitch zombie and then permanently killed by the party. They kind of do like a like a picking the Dalai Lama type of thing where like you know they have items that were important to her and then measure the resonances and figure it out. Warden then finds a secluded area outside the city and spends the better part of a day feeding small amounts of blood into a fire to dispose of it so it can no longer infect anybody. What what a guy. What a guy. Sort of a, a weird scene. Just a, just a guy who kind of looks like a big bear with butterfly wings. Oh, dragonfly wings. Uh, sitting in dragonfly, at a fire. Thank you. <laughs> little by little, just sort of like taking a salt shaker full of blood. Yeah. <laughs> dumping it into the fire. <laughs> And yelling at anybody who comes near. <laughs> Stay away, unclean! So the next day they set sail from the docks aboard a two-masted schooner crewed by ten sailors. The first day was uneventful, and they sailed down the river into the vast delta of Scion Sound. In the far distance, they can make out Thronehold, the castle at the center of the sound that was the political seat of Galifar before the last war. Um, But everyone knows nothing interesting ever happens there anymore, so they basically don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah, there definitely wasn't any murder mystery concurrently occurring in that that particular uh, castle. None whatsoever. Ignore it and move on. 
so they set a northerly route. It's longer, but it is safer because it avoids sailing too close to the dead gray mists of the Mornland. Then the next day, they get a bright and cloudless sky before spotting black sails on the horizon, closing on them quickly. Several hours later, they can see the sails belong to small boats, which are low to the water, maneuverable, and fast-moving. The sails are illusory, and they bear the crown of seer on a black field, kind of a skull and crossbones. The captain says that these are Siren survivors that have been driven to piracy by rage, grief, and or desperation. Typically, they want treasure and won't board unless they need to, so can suggest the party give up some of their obvious wealth. Which, of course, they do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, no, instead, the party tells them to sail on, sailor. And uh, sends the, most of the crew, uh, anybody but the, the required sailors to operate the ship down below decks while they prepare to repel invaders. The pirate boats pass the ship and then begin to form a blockade. So the party orders that the captain furl the sails as the pirate ships begin to circle. The party can see that the pirate boats are powered by persistent gusts of wind, and they're controlled by a pirate at each tiller. Each boat also supports a manned crossbow at uh, the prow and an additional crewmate armed with a short bow. And the boats close in. Naturally, uh, owing to the reputation, the party fires first. Naturally. Uh, <laughs> either manning the shipboard ballista or uh, firing longbows, you know, anything at range before the boats are close enough to fire back, trying to get in that first salvo. Speaking of at range, um, Warden casts a spell. <laughs> yeah, he conjures a storm cloud uh, in the sky and a bolt of lightning sears two pirates in the back of one of the boats. Bramble follows suit, and he uh, casts a glyph into the air, which hypnotizes one of the helmsmen and a gunner, and their boat begins to just spin lazily as no one is manning it anymore. The pirates respond by firing a volley of arrows, but most of them fall harmlessly into the deck of the ship or, uh, you know, uh, land on the railing as the party ducks below. But two firebolts light up the sails, which begin to burn like two huge candles. And we'll find out what happens next in a few weeks. All right. This week, we are here to talk about steampunk adventures. Ishan, what are steampunk adventures? Steampunk. It's a sub-genre of science fiction, often set in an alternate history where steam technology has progressed to impossible heights. Like, for example, we are both using computers powered by uh, steam engines in order to record this podcast. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, naturally. That's how it works. Lots of little gears, tiny little oh. gears uh, inside. Just uh, mm-hmm. Right. Our our um, data computers. Yeah, our our, our data calculators. Mm-hmm. We're playing Snake right now. So just like in the real world, in these settings, you know, cars and trains can be powered like with steam. But you can also get steam-powered spaceships or robots or computers. And you have like things like springs and gears and vacuum tubes and other anachronistic or retro-futuristic technology that is just abundant. It uh, traditionally takes place in Victorian or a neo-Victorian setting, um, though it might be Wild West or more of a fantasy like uh, 
you know, Eberron, World of Warcraft has some of this. And it's inspired by tales of authors like Jules Verne, H.G. Uh, Wells, uh, at least originally, uh, that imagined what the future uh, would be like and then sort of extrapolated how the technologies that were prevalent in that day might be used. So, of course, you know, they didn't imagine digital technology. They imagined, you know, more efficient vacuum tubes and, and pneumatic tubes. Lots of tubes. It's lots of tubing. Lots of tubing. Piping. Mm-hmm. Riveting. <laughs> it, it's riveting, riveting. <laughs> so steampunk focuses on the wonder and excitement of creation and discovery and often features characters who either embrace or reject those notions and oftentimes you'll get a, juxtap- a juxtaposition between the dramatic irony of what the players know are the real life effects of a new technology versus the maybe kind of like naivete of the inventors of the setting and then I think what separates the aesthetic of steampunk from the genre of steampunk is the punk, right? So it's not enough to just have the gears bolted onto things, but you also need to be resisting some type of power structure, right? Uh, that's why Victorian England is so like ripe for it, because you have kind of like the nobility fighting against the the middle and, and especially the lower class, right? And And how technology frees you from the binds of your birth. And it's often why this works so well with alt historical settings is that <laughs> any historical setting is going to ha- have a lot of class. Yeah. And, and notice like the Wild West is a punk setting on its own. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some themes that you'll probably explore in a steampunk game. Uh, the first one is the world is a fantastic place. There's a level of surrealism or wonder that surrounds the technology. So you can go ahead and lean into it, right? Even if the tech is normal for the PCs who have been living around it their entire lives, it isn't necessarily normal for the players. So, you know, bring up um, the fact that it's it's weird and wondrous and and strange and and magical, right? Like not literally magical, but like kind of amazing to look at. Yeah, you want to point out and showcase the ways that this world is different from our own. You know, if there are cars in a halfling village, then have them show up right away. That's how the halfling they're meeting with arrives. Um, You know, if you have airships uh, conducting travel across the Atlantic, then start the campaign with the party as passengers on an airship. Yeah, it's an obvious reason why a lot of Eberron games start on an airship. You just throw people right into the aesthetic and they just sort of need to catch up. Right. Another way to do this is to just use the terminology of the world, right? Air bladders, propellers, gear folk, you know, people who are powered by springs and and gears and are are wound up. Like, just throw them at your players and let them be confused for a little bit because then they get to ask for exposition and you can, can, like, explain and and do some world building or maybe even do it together. Uh, Another theme of steampunk games is the, like, prodigious individual ability right steampunk heroes are almost always experts and prodigies in their fields they understand technology they use technology uh, in a way that would be impossible in the real world and they can repair it and build it and like tinker with it and improve it with only renaissance era tools yeah it might end up aggravating real world engineers in your group but if a pc can imagine something in a steampunk game then they can probably build it or there's someone in the world who can right the giant mechs and 
time travel powered by vacuum tubes. It doesn't make any sense at all, but but it works. It works fine. Look, you just spin a few wrenches and you improve the uh, the artificial intelligence algorithms governing your autopilot on your battle mech. It's fine. Obviously, we just increased the number of chronotons. <laughs> exactly. Oh, jeez. The accelerator <laughs> will be fine. The accelerator <laughs> will hold. I mean, so actually, I, I sort of use Star Wars as a, as a touchstone for this kind of aesthetic. I mean, Star Wars is not steampunk. It's space fantasy. But Anakin as a little kid and he builds a talking droid from spare parts in like a hovel when he is an enslaved person. Han and Chewie tinker with the Millennium Falcon. And for some reason, usually it doesn't explode and like destroy the entire universe because this thing can travel 50 times faster than the speed of light. And like, how is that? Right. What, what, what are you talking about? That's like percussive maintenance parts. shouldn't work. One of my favorite parts of Mandalorian is when like he, he like crashes the ship and like the um the Mon Calamari have to repair it. And they repair it like a sailing vessel, like <laughs> just a sail ship. And it's like you know this thing has to like go into vacuum and hard like hard vacuum, right? Like you can't have it supported by like rope. <laughs> and yet, right, it's all about the the aesthetic. Right, the right. feeling. Um, you can you can just hand wave this stuff. What is a flux capacitor? Who cares? Exactly. Like, how are you projecting the uh, the air bubble over this thing? It doesn't matter. We have the technology for it. Right. I have an air bubble projector. That that's what it does. Yeah, it's <laughs> right in the title. So PCs will have all the tools that they need intrinsically, sort of like, as like a part of their being, right? It might be that they need a box of scraps or like their favorite tool belt or or something, but they'll be able to make do from there in, in order to like build something or fix something. And even if they don't have those things, they can likely improvise with basically nothing. Sort of coupled with this is that in their element, whatever that element is, they're going to excel. It, it might be, you know, building things, being a mechanic or something like that. But even Han Solo, he's a serviceable mechanic. He's not the world's best mechanic, but, you know, he's the best pilot. Uh, another theme to, to think about is that risks are almost always rewarded in steampunk. Uh, it's not usually like grimdark, right? You're not punished for trying new things. But, you know, if you try to modify a jetpack to make it go faster or carry more people, it probably doesn't, you know, explode catastrophically. You know, it might lead to, you know, a crash landing or something like that if it goes wrong. But it will it will have a, you know, puncher's chance of actually succeeding and working in a new and, and exciting way. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, exceptions exist, obviously, right? Like Full Metal Alchemist, you know. But yeah, that jetpack doesn't explode in midair. It, if it crashes, it probably kind of gets you either to the place you were trying to go anyway or near it. And maybe you're just a little injured. <laughs> At least within adventuring distance of the place you're going. Right. Um <laughs> Or, you know, maybe it doesn't work and you can try again. Maybe it works in an unexpected way or an even better way. Or by failing, teaches the character something about how something else will work in the future. Right. Uh, however. <laughs> however. Um, another theme that you're going to get in steampunk is scientists who never stop to ask if they actually should do a thing just because they could do a thing. Right. Exactly. The... Uh common theme of steampunk games is that not all progress is good right while while on one hand you have like the the kind of working class struggle that that underpins victorian england 
um, you also have sort of the the dalliances of scientific advancement and industrialization that are causing more harm to everyone involved. And your characters are almost always on both sides of that problem. Mm-hmm. Right. There should be a tension there, right? And and the drawback can be either part of the technology, like, oh, no, we created nuclear weapons, or like the dam is, you know, destroying uh, the, the forest. Oh, no, they're powered by ghost souls. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't everything? Uh, I believe in reincarnation, so people are powered by ghost souls, whatever. <laughs> um, but you can also have a situation where, like, the tech is is fine and doesn't intrinsically harm anything, but, like, creation of the tech or, or like, uh, the people who have um, been drafted to, you know, produce the tech, uh, that's where uh, the harm or the tension comes from. Right, or the testing to prove that it works uh, causes, you know, harm to a group or a community or, or an area. Right. The like like the London fog wasn't the tech. It was the byproduct of the factories. But the factories themselves were keeping people, you know, warm in their homes. It was just also killing them in the streets. You can't put technology back in the box, right? Like once it's out, uh, it will be used for good and for bad. So once you invent it, if you lose control once you've lost control of it, once it's in the world, uh, it becomes your problem to fix. Yeah, and there's there's no way to not lose control of it, right? Like the information gets out eventually if something is so amazing. Like someone is going to weaponize it. They're going to use it for war and combat. There's a death ray and an eldritch machine in every steampunk game, and of course there is. This isn't something you'd necessarily do to the player characters, but if there is an NPC who's friendly to them who's working on technology, there is almost certainly going to be an NPC who is not friendly to them working on the same technology, or worse, a competing alternative technology that might be better. <laughs> I don't know which is worse, the fact that you're building war machines with the tech or the fact that it's putting us out of business. Anytime you build a death ray, just know there's somebody who's building a better death ray. That's what I'm saying. I built a, a life ray, so suck it. Well, you're going to be the second best life ray on the market then, bud. <laughs> And then a theme that I really like about steampunk and, you know, genre similar is accessibility. And it may not seem like that on the surface because, you know, often you're like in an alt history. But revisionist history usually means that women or people of color can operate in the world unhindered. Because, like, we just decided that steam technology somehow works and we can go to the moon. Like, okay, great. Can we just (laughs) ignore all the sexism, too? Because like exactly. we're not talking about going to the bathroom. We have running water. Right. We're changing and, everything. And even if those themes are important to the 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 punk of the game, right? Like even if you need to have those themes in order to fight against them, um, they don't hinder the player characters, right? For whatever reason, the player characters have always got a chance to rise above it and they can turn around and try to lift everyone else up with them. Right. You want to keep it as a gritty setting? That's fine. Even if one of the challenges that the party is facing is overcoming these barriers. Their individual ability, their expertise, their talent enables them to rise above, whether that is like creating prosthetics for themselves, making motorized transportation, or just, you know, building up a business and, you know, being able to buy economic success with their inventions. Right. And and this is, um, I think, similar to like a very similar theme to to cyberpunk in that way is that like technology becomes an equalizer, right? Anybody can learn about technology. Anybody can utilize technology. Um, anybody can 
like overcome with the right technological solution. And that is the democratizing force in the world. Do not sweat these small details. Um, how does the technology work? Uh, I don't know. Water is heated to make steam and that pushes things like that's about really all you need to, to know. Oh, the display works exactly like our displays do. It's just that they're very, very, very tiny gears pushing each pixel. <laughs> and it just rotates it around into the right color to display on the screen. What's so hard about that? Yeah, of course, there's 2.6 million colors in each of these. It's just a very, very tiny, uh, you know, like whatever, icosahedron times thousand, whatever that means. <laughs> you've seen a, a, you've seen a wind turbine? You've seen a wind turbine? Exactly. It's like that, but there are a million of them, and they turn a million times faster. Exactly. What's so hard about this? Come on. Come on. Uh, please also, do... magnets. You always have magnets. <laughs> magnets. A magnetron, I think, is what you mean. That's right. It needs exposed coils. Steam-powered magnets. Right. Steam-powered magnets. <laughs> and when they get wet, it's probably fine. Probably fine. Yeah. So please do not get mired in the real world physics of it. This is an instance where you do not want or need to do the math because it's not going to make any sense. It won't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's um, those airships aren't going to work, but yeah. <laughs> don't worry about it. The Led Zeppelin flies just fine. <laughs> right. I, I did a little bit of math on the lift. Uh, nope, 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 nope. Just no, you did just not. leave it. So now, this doesn't mean that you can't go deep on the why and how of the technology in terms of like the fantasy element, right? You have these experts, they should understand how it works for some reason in this world. But, you know, keep it narrative. You know, you you don't need to explain all the physics. Like I think about Eberron has elemental binding and that is sort of how they like make their machines. There's a ton of detail in the Eberron books about elemental binding and how it works for people who want it. But there are a ton of unanswered questions, right? Like, like, it's not trying to take a real-world solution and port it over to this setting. It just says, hey, there's a water elemental, and it always churns all the time. Um, and then we stuck it in a box, and now it churns for us. Cool, right? Right. It's, it's functional, not technical, right? Like, you're talking about what it does, not the detail of how it works. Right. And, you know, your character may know what happens if you dispel magic the box, but it doesn't necessarily need to follow from a logical perspective. It just needs to be like, hey, here's what happens if you dispel magic the box. Uh, so another key area where you can get bogged down in steampunk is, you know, like your tinkers, you, you are focused on your equipment, right? That equipment is the extension of you. That is the outlet of your creativity, often as a player and definitely as a character. Like you need to keep things moving. Um, use montages, use sort of like um, narrative, like resolution mechanics to jump to the results of your workshop time, of your tinker time, of your like project prep time so that you can keep the plot moving, right? Because remember, inventing things is not the plot. Inventing things is the way that you uh, put your impact, the, the way that you impact the plot. Right, like you know, hey, I researched a spell is much less interesting than I cast the spell that I researched. Like, you want to mm -hmm. get to the, the using the tech. Um, and I know what will happen here is players will want to do the Tony Stark montage where you're like, oh, great, we have downtime. And now I'm going to like spend some really cool time in my lab and I'm going to like make all the awesome stuff. And we're going to like do all these roles and see how well I did. That's 
that's great for the story for them to do that. You don't need to play it all out, montage it, and you know, make sure that that they're not just sort of sitting on this time and hugging spotlight, especially when they're sort of non-tech characters who who aren't doing this. Yeah. This is a great, great way to use flashbacks too, right? It's like, you know that you spent time in the lab, but we don't necessarily know what you were doing until we find out in the moment that, you know, you tweaked this thing or created this thing. We flashback to you making it. And then we find out what does this thing do? You know, like, oh, well, (laughs) sure, you have a death ray, but I have a repeating death ray. (laughs) So get your PCs out of the lab. You know, um, they, they're going to want to retreat and that's fine in like narrative downtime. But if they want to do that on the fly, make them tweak or create while they're out and about in, in maybe the middle of combat or like on the move on horseback. On horseback, you know, where you usually do your, your inventing and schematical analysis. You know, or in a cave in Afghanistan. <laughs> so, sometimes you're under duress. You should I have to ask, have you ever ridden a horse? <laughs> uh, there was a pony one time. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> uh, it's because I built a gyroscopic saddle first. Right, okay. okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, you got me there. It's <laughs> suspended between two horses for, for maximum comfort ride. And, uh, and one iron horse. <laughs> right. So in this instance, remember that like prototypes are your friend here. Um, they don't have time to build the entire thing that they were going to build. Great. Um, you have a prototype. I guess we'll field test it pretty soon. Right. So when it comes to an RPG and steampunk, you're going to have a lot of dice rolling to sort of see what happens. You want to be making sure that you're failing forward here, which I already talked about the jetpack scenario. Uh, Again, prototypes are your friend. Um, You know, who really knows exactly how this is going to work? It hasn't been tested yet. I guess we'll find out. If you get a bad roll, it doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't work at all and nothing happens because that's boring. You know, something should happen but it probably doesn't explode and kill somebody. Well, at least not before it opens the door that it was intended to. <laughs> or or, or maybe not the person it was intended to kill, or maybe not the PC doing the rolling. But, you know, I mean, right. NPCs are fair game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's important, right? Is like, um, if you, you know, it's experimental, it's a prototype, it's jury rigged, whatever that is, um, it will get you through this this time. Right. But you're not going to be able to use it again or you're not going to be able to preserve this design or you're not going to be able to like use the base item that it was that you modified again at all. Right. And that becomes the challenge that you're overcoming now. That's how you failed forward is is it's cost you something rather than, okay, cool, like you're a genius inventor, but you just invented a thing that, you know, the gunpowder just fizzled out instead of sparking like that sucks. Yeah. Like if you've built a handheld lightning conductor and you're really excited to like, you know, blast electrical energy at the bad guys, that that should just happen, you know, but on a bad roll, maybe it it's amazing and then it it fizzles out and basically like, you know, bursts in your hand, you can't use it again. But like you you see that all the time in media where now my contraption is completely useless, but wow, that was awesome and now I toss it to the side and build another contraption. And then something we don't talk about a lot in steampunk games is is the mystery that's always at the center of it, right? There's there's always something going on, um, some some type of evil or oppression or you know some insidious entity that has some scheme in the background that is bound to intersect the players eventually. 
um, you want to make sure that you're revealing that mystery to them while they're um, still like enjoying this sense of mis- uh, of, of wonder and uh, exploration. Yeah, you get to explain things in steampunk. Um, there are a lot of genres where everything needs to stay mysterious forever. With with steam, like okay, the BBEG is tweaking technology to make a doomsday device somehow. Let them figure out how that is or have it be revealed to them eventually, right? Scientific knowledge is probably what's going to end up saving the day in this kind of game. So give them clues so that they can use scientific knowledge to save the day. This also means that eventually you can let players take more control of the technology, Um, you know, deciding what they're going to make or maybe, you know, the principles upon which it works, right? Um, You get into these scenarios where maybe you're not necessarily bound to everything that's in the book, but someone can say, all right, I have, you know, tech that like moves earth and I have tech that moves stone. Can I somehow put them together and build bridges quickly? And you might eventually be like, yeah, I think you can do that, but, you know, make some like auto constructing bridges. That might be cool. Yeah. Just be careful about allowing characters to make too much advancement in too short of a time or else, um, you lose the value of your background, right? Like your setting loses meaning because they have just walked in and turned it on its head. Yeah, or you get into the situation where, you know, someone has built the the peasant railgun and you said it worked once and so now why doesn't it work every single time? Right. Now now all combat is conducted with peasant railguns. <laughs> um, like all bridges wh- are built auto-constructing. Like rivers are now meaningless. <laughs> the whole world, it turns out, is just bridges. We built exactly. an AI and all it did is maximize bridge building. <laughs> um. One one way to do this, though, is, you know, if you don't feel like restrict, restricting the things that they can build, just make sure that the information gets out somewhere else and everything that they come up with, someone sees, and now that sparks their idea. And now uh, it started to spread, and maybe bad guys have it too. All right, some caveats. Make sure you're not getting bogged down in the how and ignoring the story. If you need a reason for why something works or how it works, just make one up. And this players definitely goes for you too, especially if you're playing a tinkerer. Like, just make up a word or make up a substance that has these particular properties. That's why it works. Ah, you've invented cosmetonian fluid, and now your invention works. Hmm. The science doesn't matter nearly as much as the character's reaction to the science or the technology or the way it's used. Ah, uh, yes, cosmetonian fluid. Did you know that it'll get you drunker than rum? Also, it makes your urine blue. Hmm. Very strange. <laughs> Uh, Also, keep everyone invested. Um, It's great to have characters in the group who aren't techie, right? And it is probably better if you have if you do have people in the group who aren't like dedicated tinkerers. Um, They become the audience for these inventions. They respond with wonder and amazement, or you know, they reject the technology and have the concern of its implications. They provide the the moral uh, fiber to the uh, the you know. Prodigal inventor, prodigious inventor. Or both. Why not both? I mean, yeah, one of my favorite combinations of characters is, you know, like the Luddite uh, teamed up with the Tinkerer, you know, one who's like, hey, look, I made a thing that explodes. And, you know, one person being like, begrudgingly being like, I like that it explodes, but I don't like how you're doing it. Right. (laughs) 
um, they can also act as the sort of modern stand-in, right? They become the audience. They become the the representative of the players themselves at the table um, in the cast, right? They are the ones who grapple with living in a world that's changing like this or, um, you know, grapple with the implications that it means for, you know, common people or, you know, warfare or for exploration and travel. Yeah, or the, the Jeff Goldblum character who is basically yelling at the tinkerer, always being like, think about the consequences of your actions before you do these things. And then, you know, maybe can be right. Uh, I've run the calculations on my Steam calculator, and I've <laughs> determined that there is a 1 in 972 chance that this ends poorly. Your Steam calculator is biased. <laughs> it's run by a method. That's true. So remember that these non-tech characters, their stories and motivations are just as important. You know, like steampunk is just the backdrop to interesting adventures. Like the barbarian from out of town who doesn't understand any of this gnomish contraption. The fact that like her family is, you know, in danger is actually more interesting and, and salient than the particular way that like black powder works. Right, Exactly. Um, you can also run into a challenge here where players are tempted to solve everything with a role, right? The idea is I have the tinker skill. It does not matter that I, myself, the player, am not a tinkerer. My character knows what to do. Um, in most games, that's true, right? In like your standard, you know, D&D fantasy or Knights Black Agents or whatever, like you aren't expected to be an expert in combat and adventuring or whatever. But like... That's the whole appeal, whole appeal of playing an inventor type character in these kinds of settings is that you as a player get to be creative. So you need to challenge the player to describe what they're doing, right? Explain what they're trying to accomplish, how they do that. And then the role is determining how well it works, not whether or not they succeed or fail or if it if it does work at all, right? Like accept the baseline competence, and then see how zany and out of control it gets in the process. Right. You don't want to get into one of these situations where, you know, if someone's using the performance skill, you can say, I sing, you know, a, a jaunty ballad. Uh, I don't need to describe <laughs> the words of the jaunty ballad or like what the, the, um, the meter is because I don't need to understand that in order for us to have, you know, an, an interesting game at this table. But if you are trying to come up with some sort of wacky contraption or figuring out a way to take technology and get out of this situation or, you know, break us out of um, this, uh, this jail cell, then you need to come up with ways it could plausibly work in order for you to actually really be contributing. You can't just say, oh, I'll use my tinker tools and break us out of this jail cell. Right. Yeah. And this is this is not to say that it's a puzzle, right? It's not about getting to the right combination of three items in your inventory in order to, like, solve the escape jail puzzle, right? It's about find something that's plausible and cool that, like, yes, I can combine these three things to form an automatic uh, skeleton key. Right. right? Or cool. Yeah. Awesome. You did it. Or, like, I, I look around, like, you know, what do I have to work with? Is there some way that I can, you know, uh, combine some things with what I have in my tool belt in order to create, you know, a short acting acid? Right. Yeah. You know, oh, I see. You want to like take some saltpeter that you spotted in the corner and mix that with iron filings and, and there to create some sort of exothermic reaction. Great. That sounds awesome. You do that. Uh, also, technology is not always the answer, right? Um, sometimes you are locked in, in that jail cell with nothing. 
uh, and the only resource you have at your disposal is your uh, quick wit, your silver tongue, and the pliable ear of the guard who's watching over you. Um, that's okay, too. Like, not everything has to be solved with technology, even if it's a steampunk game. Yeah. Sometimes it's time to punch someone in the face and then shake out your hand because, wow, that really hurt. And that's why we don't do things this way normally. <laughs> right. <laughs> Unless you invent the uh, the auto-punching fist. That's actually true. I built a gauntlet for this because I have to keep punching people in the yeah. face and I don't like that. <laughs> exactly. All right. So what are some systems where people could play steampunk if they'd like to? Well, you mentioned it a couple times, but Eberron is your, uh, I, I guess, classic at this point. <laughs> um, sort of steampunk fantasy, the kind of merging of uh, magic industrialization and uh, airships and, you know, noir detective stories with, uh, you know, gears and cogs and literal robot people. Uh, you've also got uh, the 5e Magic the Gathering setting, Ravnica, which has uh, several guilds that are focused on technology. Uh, the Izzet League has all kinds of, you know, strange contraptions that often explode or, you know, jolt you. Uh, Spelljammer embraces the spirit, if not the full aesthetic. Um, but that is the kind of like a world and plane traveling um, adventurers you know, space pirates uh, in a in a kind of fantasy environment. Um, based yeah, on where, where you might edition. like t turn a winch in order to go to a different material plane. I that right. Apparently, that's what that does. Sure, why not? Uh, moving away from Dungeons and Dragons, there's Iron Kingdoms from Privateer Press. Um, that's got uh, a lot of steampunk elements, um, and you know, big uh, big armor. So that's always a plus. Yep, you've also got uh, Deadlands, right? Um, set in the Wild West or the Weird West, but with the infusion of Ghost Rock to give magic and then uh, a bunch of mad science going on all around you, you get, you know, uh, strong uh, Dr. Loveless vibes from the uh, uh, Wild West uh, remake. Um, there are some kinds of uh, Warhammer dwarves who uh, sort of lean into this aesthetic uh, pretty hard. And then games I have not played, um, Space 1889 and then uh, Castle Falkenstein uh, are also uh, basically built for steampunk. I, I mean, Blaze in the Dark is not exactly steampunk, but it has a lot mm. of those feelings too. Um, and it is certainly more punk than a lot of these games. <laughs> It's uh, it's got electricity that interacts with ghosts for some reason. So you know, I, I'd right. say it counts. Yeah. All right. So if it sounds a little bit like steampunk is kind of a grab bag, and you put anything that floats your boat inside it, then uh, you're right. It's because that boat uh isn't very dense, and uh, you've created a, a liquid on which anything can float. And hey, that's really what the game is all about. So have fun with it. <laughs> it's also, I mean, it is the genre that I think um most embraces its aesthetic over uh, any other piece of its like defining characteristics so um nothing wrong with that you know if, if you just love the character art you know there's worse reasons to play in a setting or, or play in a genre it is the genre where i am most happy if people show up dressed as their characters there are some <laughs> others where not so much <laughs> it's, it's like top uh, top five least embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, look, goggles are important these days, okay? So, <laughs> right. Plague masks.
All right. Do you hear that, Isham? Uh, yes, the tick, tick, tick of millions of tiny gears all on the head of this pin. Trust me, it works. All right. Well, then it's time to move on to the character creation forge and find out what you've uh, what you've cobbled together in there. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And our community has continued to grow, even despite the uh, the slowdown in the episode release. So uh, come join us. And we now have a dedicated group of League of Legends players who are also uh, enjoying our Discord. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> but they're all non-toxic. <laughs> I don't know that I believe you, but okay. It, I completely avoid those channels, so I wouldn't know. Trust me, you can eat them. They will not make you sick. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building Iron Man. There is no version of this where you come out on top. Everyone knows who Iron Man is. He's got armor made of apparently not iron. Uh, He flies around. He's got hand lasers and, you know, all the tech you could possibly want. Also, very charming. It's, it's armor, not made of iron, but also not vibranium for some reason. No, no, but it's titanium and gold. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the uh, what's the build here? It is Armorer Artificer 14, Order of Scribes, Wizard 6. Uh, I know I've been out of this game for a little while because I don't know what Order of Scribes Wizard is. <laughs> so I can't wait to find out how this build works, Ishan. We are going heavy on Tasha's today. All right, so we're going to okay. start off with 11 levels of Artificer. And I'll be perfectly honest. If you want to go Artificer 20, you'll make a great Iron Man because that's what this subclass was made for, obviously. M- more or less the subclass itself, yeah. Yeah. So you'll get third level spells and three cantrips. You'll get six infused items and eight infusions known. I like magic missile, right? They're unerring. Uh, do you remember when he has those little uh, shoulder darts and they, mm-hmm. like, you know, kills three insurgents who are holding people hostage? They don't miss. You don't have to worry about friendly it, fire. Exactly. Thunder wave, maybe a big explosion from your chest. Um, lightning bolt makes perfect sense. Absorb elements if maybe someone else hits you with lightning and you would prefer not to be damaged by it, but you would like to absorb it instead. Uh, you've of course got Featherfall, which is great when your uh, flight system gets knocked out temporarily, and you just manage to land uh, without blowing yourself up. Right, with that little uh, you know arms out, feet out thing, right, you know, two feet off the yeah. ground. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and early on, you've got access to fly, uh, which lets you fly, but then also does sort of set up that whole like, you know, I got hit really hard and now I'm falling out of the sky scenario. So I mean, have fun with it. Yeah, I got hit really hard with an electronic attack that knocked out my system. <laughs> Dispel magic bomb. <laughs> oh no, Jarvis. Uh, and then, of course, you can cast Dispel magic, which, I don't know, hacking, I guess. Jarvis, could you just take care of the security system? Great, thank you. EM- EMP. So you get arcane armor at third level. It means there's no strength requirement on probably your plate armor. It becomes your spellcasting focus, and you can don and doff it as an action, which <laughs> is also great for, I don't know, walking into classy parties. 
Yeah. Or, you know, taking a taking a nap in a tavern after you adventure. <laughs> <laughs> you get an intelligence-based attack. Um, either guardian claws, which um, are melee attack, do damage, or a lightning launcher, which uh, shoots uh, nine, 90 feet, 300 at long range. Um, they're both weapon attacks, which is very important. And then uh, you get extra attack as well at fifth level. Uh, you'll also get a tool expertise. You'll get Flash of Genius, which lets you add a bonus to a saving throw or ability check uh, several times because it scales off of your intelligence modifier times per day. You'll get a spell storing item, which will let you store a first or second level spell to use again several times per day. And this will, uh, you know, things like invisibility or cure wounds, you know, you'll be in good shape. Yeah, it's one of those times when uh, Tony's been working in the lab and then everyone gets together and they're going to go on a mission and he hands everyone like a, who knows what it is. It's a, a breath mint or a watch or something. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, just press this and turn invisible. That's OK. Eat this and, uh, you know, you can fly for like an hour whatever. Right. Uh, for infusions, I like enhanced weapon and defense, of course, because that's kind of your bread and butter. Uh, at level 10, pick up the winged boots, which will basically let you fly whenever you want to fly. Then take six levels of wizard. You'll also get third level spells. Booming blade or green flame blade are good options here because if you're using the guardian mode and you know really sort of want to like get into melee, uh, they'll add a bunch of extra damage. But I also like to do some rituals here, comprehend languages. Um, this subclass is basically to get your AI, your Jarvis, online. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, shield is great, and if you really need uh, some big firepower, you have fireball or spirit shroud as an extra d6 to your weapon attacks. And then you get your awakened spellbook at level two. This is your AI. Uh, allows you to cast a free ritual once per day, which is kind of like the that battlefield artifice, right? Like I'm in the middle of combat, and normally this would take uh, ten minutes, but just as a simple action, I you know do something quickly. I you know access a database, or you know Jarvis, please hack immediately. Uh, and then also you'll be able to replace the damage type of your wizard spells with the damage type of a different wizard spell so which will always be force (laughs) why would it not be force force is great and at level six you can manifest mind um your spell book actually can appear uh bodily physically i don't know maybe on the inside of your helmet uh to, Mm -hmm. to to talk to you or you know just to just have chats or maybe to tell you what a terrible job you're doing and what a bad person you are Tell you how the uh, the rogue in the party really likes you and you should treat her better. Really? Honestly? It's about time. Come on. Uh, maybe you should drink a little bit less as well? Yeah, exactly. Your liver function is uh, elevated. <laughs> right. 14% and falling. <laughs> um, you can also manifest the mind um, away from you and then cast spells from that location, but eh... Yeah, you don't you don't let Jarvis take over remote control that often, right? Seriously, but you wh- could. Why would you ever put Jarvis into I don't know some other body and then like let him walk around autonomously? That will never end well. <laughs> <laughs> so then you jump back an artificer to fourteen. You'll be able to attune five five items at once. Uh, you'll have no class or race restrictions on using those items. Like, for example, I don't know if you want to use an Infinity Stone, which says no humans allowed, or I will murder them. Right. 
Uh, and then eventually you'll be able to build a belt of giant strength. If you really want to go Hulkbuster, go with Guardian, um, you know, use Booming Blade and do a bunch of extra damage when you attack and have a strength of like 22. All right. Well, if that isn't Tony Stark, I don't know what is. You're in dire need of an upgrade. So before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Sorry, did I forget Brewer's Tools? You take Brewer's Tools. <laughs> okay. We're thanking Patreon supporters, not <laughs> Brewer's Tools. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Pick up some Brewer's Tools today. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. Uh, and a special thanks to everybody who's sticking with us through this time. Uh, I know I know some people have changed their pledges. That's perfectly fine. Um, but actually, a surprising number of people have come out in support of us now. So um, that's that's great, too. We appreciate all of our patrons. It's very nice of you. Um, also, keep in mind, for now, the pledges are paused. Uh, we promised you a show every week. And since we are not currently delivering on that, um, we are not taking your money. But, uh, you know, we'll be back eventually and we'll keep you posted. All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are beginning our playthrough, our solo game of Sunless Citadel. All right, well, that's it for uh, the last discussion episode for a while. Uh, episode 283 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.